Father, we come to you, calling on you, asking that you do pour it out. Revive us, fill us with your Spirit. Meet us here tonight. Father, we're crying out to you. We don't wanna leave here unchanged. We don't wanna leave here without more of you, without looking like more of what you look like. Lord, we set you in our sights now. Come, Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Feel free to grab a seat. We're gonna continue worshiping our great God as we come to communion. And it's, it's incredible that we're singing about revival, revive. We're calling on something to become alive again. And really that's what we are remembering here. Somehow the Bible tells us that at a point in history 2000 years ago, Jesus died and something happened, something changed through what He did. Because of what He did, we can know forgiveness of sins. We can know love and we can know life because of what He did. This isn't a celebration or a looking back to something that was botched, some poor guy who happened to die and and then we just remember that. This is something has fundamentally shifted in the fabric of the universe when this happened. This is what we're celebrating. There is new life on offer here. And Paul actually talks about this new life in Philippians 3 verse seven, where he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And this is what we're coming here to do tonight. We're coming here to fix our eyes on our Saviour, to fix our eyes on the perfecter of our faith, the one who is giving us life. He has set life before us. And that is what we come to remember. We do not wanna leave here unchanged as we gaze on our Saviour, as we put Him front and centre now. It's the reason why Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, He was with His disciples, He broke bread gave thanks, saying, this is my body given for you. So you'll have a little communion cup there with you. Feel free to peel the top of that off. And what we're gonna do is think for a time for yourself. We're talking about what Jesus has done here. Think about what what this means, right? When we come to this, we're we're not looking at our guilt 
morbidly. We're not here to remember our sins. We're here to look at places of our lives that in the past have been dead because Jesus wants to bring life to those areas. So when we remember what He has done, we do look to areas of our lives and see, wow, there's, there's, there's things that have been wrong in the past. Maybe there are things wrong now, but we're bringing those dead things now to Him so that we might know the power of His resurrection, which He has won. So eat that now. Let's eat together and remember that. Remember what He has done. Take some time. In the same way, on that night before, before Jesus went to the cross, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together, church. Oh, Jesus, we come to you surrendering all. We give to you the dead areas of our lives. We don't want them anymore. We've seen that you have secured for us forgiveness. You've secured for us the knowledge of your love. We know that you love us because of what you did. And you've secured for us life. And so we hand this over with the full knowledge that you are bringing life. We fix our eyes on you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We do not want anything other than you, as Paul says. We wanna know the resurrection, your resurrection, your life. And for that, we are willing to give anything. We hold nothing back. And so, Father, we come to you now. We continue to worship you. We continue to bring ourselves before you to, to give you everything. So come now by your spirit and continue to fill us that we might know you more tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship our great God. Now, youth is not on, but uh, Travis is here and he's gonna bring God's word. So uh, why don't you come up, Travis, and uh, bring God's word. And as he, does, as he comes up, why don't you give him a hand tonight? And as I was mentioning around the youth, it's on holidays at the moment, so a couple of weeks off um, with uh, youth. So thanks, Travis. Thanks for sharing with us, mate. Awesome. Uh, Twig and I actually didn't plan this, but that's a perfect transition to actually just rock up in the exact same clothes as him. Uh, I want to extend my welcome to you tonight, whether it's your first time uh, here at church or whether you're joining online for the first time as well. My name's Trav. Um, I lead our Switch Youth Ministry here at Bridgman. It's just a real joy and a pleasure. We have an awesome team that just loves youth and loves seeing um, youth come into relationship with Jesus. And so it's an awesome ministry that we're a part of. 
Hey, tonight we're continuing with week two of our series, The Miraculous Signs of Life, where each week we look at one of the miracles that Jesus performed in the book of John. Um, Last week, if you were with us, Nathan brought a message on Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. And this week we're looking at Jesus healing a royal official's son. Um, But before we jump into this story, I wanted to get you thinking about the last time that you could not believe your eyes. Maybe it was at lunch today when you went to Macca's and you bought a five-pack chicken nuggets and you got six instead of five. Um, Or maybe it was on Friday night when the Broncos only got beaten by 14 instead of 59. Miracles do happen. Um, For me... Uh, One of the standout times I could not believe my eyes was uh, when Lauren, my wife, and I went to Yosemite National Park over in the United States for our honeymoon last year. And if you have a MacBook, um, you probably would have had a default desktop picture of a mountain in Yosemite at some point. Um, It's going to come up on the screen behind me, but um, you'd be, you probably, if you've got a MacBook, you would have seen this photo, it would have been in the background. Confession, I actually, um, I didn't know this was a real place for a long time. I thought it was just a CGI image that Apple had come up with, like its own eye mountain. And um, I just, I don't know, I just never realised it was a real place. It just looked too amazing. Um, but when I did realise it was a real place, um, I was obviously amazed. And after doing a bit more research online, I thought, I, you know, I have to get over there. I have to see this. This would be unreal to see. And um, it became a bit of a dream for Lauren and I, Lauren and I to go over there um, and see Yosemite. And so when we're over in the US and we're driving there, we're getting really excited and people we told were like, yeah, it's amazing, like it's incredible. So our expectations were quite high. Um, but when we arrived, I have to tell you, you've probably had a situation like this. You, even though you know it's gonna be good, you actually can't fathom how great this place is. And I could not fathom how incredible this place was. Just standing there, you're um, sort of in a bit of a crater, I guess, as the mountains are around you, and it's just unbelievable how big and majestic the mountains are. I actually just could not believe my own eyes when I was standing there, and Lauren and I were just like gobsmacked at this place. The reason I, that I ask you that question and get you thinking about that is that one of the major recurring themes in the book of John and in this series is belief. And this makes a lot of sense because Jesus is literally going from town to town, city to city, going around doing unbelievable things and exceeding everyone's expectations. And, and whilst he's doing you know, incredible stuff, you know, he's turning water into wine at weddings, he's healing people, like these are unbelievable things, The point isn't about just the miracles. His larger purpose is to actually bring about belief in these people. Not in the miracles, but belief in Jesus as the saviour of the world. The signs that Jesus performs are there to provoke faith and belief in order to bring about eternal life. And Nathan said this in his message last week, it's, it's not about the signs, but it's about the truth that they point to. So let's continue on with the second miracle in John 4, verses 46 to 52. If you have your Bibles with you, um, now's the time to, to pull them out. It'll be on the screen behind me though. So we read, once more Jesus visit, visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. 
When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while the man was still on his way home, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When the man inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Now this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, there's a little bit of context that I need to just give you really quickly, just so you get the full message from this passage. Prior to this, Jesus had just spent two days in a place called Samaria. I've got a little map for you. It should come up on the screen. Um, So he just spent some time in Samaria. And this time there was incredibly successful. It appears that the whole city of Sychar, which is the city of Samaria, uh, was turning to Jesus as the Messiah and the saviour of the world. This is great. They understood who Jesus was and although you know, they, they were amazed by Jesus' miracle um, power, they, they didn't focus on that, but instead they focused on his word. And it says in John 4, 42, they said, we have heard him in our, for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. In other words, they get it. They know what Jesus is about. They see that this is the saviour of the world. They get it. But Galilee, um, where Jesus is now heading, do you like my little um, Jesus image, by the way, as he's on his way? Galilee, where he's now heading, um, they don't have the same response. Ironically, this is where Jesus grew up. These are his people. This is his hometown. You know, they know him. Jesus knows them. But they don't truly know that Jesus is the saviour of the world. They only, they've heard about the signs and wonders that have, that have happened and that's all that they care about. They believed, but not in the kind of life-saving belief that Jesus was after. They were simply just excited to see some miracles. And so when Jesus arrives in Galilee, um, he's well aware that they're not welcoming him because he's the saviour of the world. They're, they're welcoming, welcoming the stuff that he brings with him. And so now when we look at this you know, interaction with the royal official that Jesus has, um, it, it, it makes a lot more sense. This guy just comes with a request and that's it. And there's two clear things, two clear observations that I, I wanna point out to you. The first thing we observe is that this royal official he actually has no idea who Jesus is. Now, just to be clear, scholars believe this official to be an officer to the wicked king, Herod Antipas, who in Luke 13, 32, um, we know he wants to kill Jesus. So this guy's essentially on the enemy's side. And when he meets Jesus, we don't see any kind of acknowledgement of who Jesus is. You know, in Luke 5, 8, um, when Simon Peter, when he realises that Jesus is God, he falls at his feet and he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. 
being in the presence of God should have meant that kind of response. But for the royal official, we see no sense of repentance uh, or, or recognition of who Jesus is. We just see his request. He thought he was talking just to a miracle worker and that's it. He didn't realise he was talking to the saviour of the world. And I wonder, you know, would he have changed the way he talked to Jesus if he knew who he actually was? You would probably know the name Tony Hawk, um, a skateboarder from the United States um, who was at the forefront of popularising skateboarding in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, this picture um, behind me, if you took away the skateboard, you wouldn't actually know who he is. It's only by the skateboard being there that you're like, oh, he must be a skateboarder. Um, he's a fairly unrecognisable kind of guy. Uh, I know what you're thinking. I don't know him because I'm an awesome skateboarder. Um, he actually just released a couple of video games about <laughs> with skateboarding in them, and uh, that's what I did. I actually played the video games and not um, actually went skating. And for a while there, I was really awesome at playing those video games. But anyway, he had taken, um, recently in the last couple of years, he's taken to Twitter to just share some of the funny interactions he's had with people who haven't recognised him in public. And he said that he was uh, once at the airport having his ID checked by security when suddenly the security agent recognises his last name and says, Hawk, just like the skateboarder Tony Hawk. <laughs> and Tony replies, yeah, exactly. And the security guard pauses before saying, wow, I wonder what he's up to these days. <laughs> and Tony just goes, this, actually. Another time at a different airport, a uh, security agent is staring intently at Tony and says, you know, I'm just trying to figure out who you look like before checking your ID. And he goes, you, you're that cyclist, Lance Armstrong. <laughs> and another security guard looks over and goes, that's not Lance Armstrong. And, uh, and the, the first security guard goes, oh, okay. Um, and looks back at Tony and says, actually, you kind of look like that skateboarder. And then checks his ID and says, wow, same name too. <laughs> crazy. And Tony goes, yeah, crazy. It's true that knowing who someone is before you talk to them can really save you looking like a fool. Um, I remember personally one time meeting one of uh, Lauren's friends from work and her husband and um, as the girls talked, um, us guys struck up conversation and somehow I got onto how we'd recently, at the time, got a Labrador puppy and um, we were so excited and it was all you know, going awesome. And then I, I somehow, I don't know how, I got onto the topic of explaining how it's been you know, scientifically proven that Labradors are missing the gene for satiety, meaning that they, um, they actually, their appetite is actually never satisfied. It's a genetic thing. Which, by the way, I can actually confirm as a Labrador owner for now six months, um, they, they are never full. Um, I haven't just made that up for effect. Anyway, this guy, this guy I was telling him the story to, he seemed interested and, you know, he's kind of vibing a bit. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, he wants to know a bit more. So I keep going. And um, I just, I, d I don't know what happened. I just kept going into details about like recessive genes and dominant genes and explaining it all and kind of really dumbing it down for this guy. Not that I had any idea. I just remembered it from, I, I just remember a few key words from high school biology. Um, and, you know, we ended the conversation. It was all great. And then as we're leaving, Lauren goes, um, tells me, oh, you know, that guy was actually a doctor. And um, yeah, he actually owned, he owns an eight-year-old Labrador dog as well. And so I'm just there like, 
I just wish I knew that before I started explaining how genes work to a doctor. He was just so humbling. He was nice, though. He didn't call me out on it. Knowing who someone is can make a huge difference to how you act around them. It's true. And the, the second thing we observe about um, this, this royal official in this story is that he does, uh, he does believe in Jesus, but to a certain degree. You know, he's heard about Jesus. He's, he came down to meet him. Um, he asked for help. He was at his wit's end. His son was dying. You know, he needed, he needed to do something. And he came down to meet with Jesus. And um, you, you don't usually do that unless you, you kind of hold some sort of belief that this guy can do something. But let me be clear, this, this royal official, his, his belief is, is very surface level. It's partial. And, and Jesus, whilst he loves this guy and he cares for this guy, he, you know, he's not in the business of pandering to this guy's partial faith. In fact, he's in the business of perfecting his faith. And so after he hears the man's request, Jesus bluntly says, geez, unless you people believe, sorry, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. In other words, Jesus is saying, what is it? What is it with you people? You won't actually believe in me without seeing some miraculous event. Now, you might be thinking like, oh, never mind that this, you know, this guy's son is dying, Jesus. Like you're not exactly being, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild in this moment. But Jesus has a fair point. The official is like every other unbeliever who says, I have a health problem, fix it. Not, I have sin, forgive it and give me life and give me power to live for you. And so we have a predicament here. You know, we have a guy here who's an enemy of Jesus. He clearly just wants a miracle. He, he doesn't care about Jesus himself and he probably doesn't even deserve the miracle. On the other hand, we have the fact that Jesus loves this man. He loves his son. Jesus is full of grace and mercy and just loves this guy. But he isn't interested in just granting this guy's wish just for the sake of it. You know, Jesus is he's almost a bit frustrated by this man's request. Now, instead of just turning the man down as Jesus has every right to do, Jesus takes this opportunity to give this man a gift greater than the complete healing of his son. He is going to perfect his faith. So the official says, quick, come down before my child dies, thinking that logically Jesus must actually be present to heal the child. You know, Jesus, this is how you work. I've, I've heard about your miracles you've done. You, you came down and you did this, you did that. Um, come and do that now. Um, you know, the logic is that the doctor has to be physically present um, to, you know, to give the cure to the patient. Again, we see this man, he doesn't even know how powerful Jesus is. His faith is completely surface level. It's, it's shallow, it's imperfect. And if we examine our own hearts for just a moment, I suspect that we will see many of the same imperfections in our own lives. You know, how many times do we, do we approach God as just a miracle worker and that's, and that's it. As just a genie that we go to for the, the new job, the new house, um, for a situation to go our way, for a nice car, for good grades, for a relationship. And, and I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm not saying we don't go to God to ask for help. Of course not. 
I'm just saying that it often happens that we ask for these things and, and we start to say things like, you know, Lord, I'll know you're real and with me if you give me this thing. You know, and we say, you know, grant me this and I'll always be a Christian. I'll always follow you. And yet, when these things happen, when God graciously blesses us with things, comes through for us, how quickly do we forget? How quickly do we move on to the next thing, the next problem, the next request? Or how often do we doubt that God can actually do something? You know, we see the royal official here. He's, he's confused when Jesus won't come down to see his son. Um, you know, he repeats the request to Jesus as if, no, Jesus, you mustn't have heard me properly. I want you to come down and heal my son. You know, that's what you do. You're a miracle worker. That's what, you, that's what your thing is. He's confused because Jesus isn't doing what he expected him to do. And I, as I reflect on this in my own life, I think, how often do I get confused when Jesus doesn't act as I think he should? When God doesn't do what I expect. You know, we, we can so often put parameters around God. We have our systems, we have our schedules, we, we do everything and then we just ask God to just fill in the last little bit just to bless it and just to make sure it all works. How often do we do that? We put God in a box. We say, no God, you, you work this way, um, you know, rather than us following what he does. When we really examine our faith, we have a problem. We find that our faith is far from perfect. Even those of us who have been in the church for years, who have walked the Christian journey for years, without the help of Jesus, our faith is imperfect. And the result of which, Romans 1.21 says, for although they knew God, they, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the result of imperfect faith. The result is knowing about God, but never truly experiencing life with God. So this is the good news. This is where the good news comes in because as I said before, Jesus, you know, he loves this guy, loves this royal official. Um, he, can, he can do the request um, but he's, he doesn't want to just pander to the partial faith. That's not going to do anything. That's not going to do this guy any good. He wants to actually perfect his faith. And so Jesus gives this man an opportunity to do that by trusting him. And so the passage tells us that the royal official asks Jesus to come and see his son. And Jesus says, no, no, go, leave. Your son will live. Upon saying those words, two things immediately happen. The cure, shooting quicker than lightning, was felt by the dying boy and he was healed. Incredible. The second thing, the father trusts Jesus, leaves, and in doing so, has his faith perfected by the author of faith himself. What follows is we just, we just get the confirmation from his household that at the very moment Jesus spoke, your son will live, the fever left his son and his whole household believed. So, so what, are, what, are we, what are we being told here? What we can learn is that it takes 
one moment of trust in Jesus for everything to change. The man, the miracle seeker, he's required to actually trust in Jesus. He's required to have trusting faith by leaving Jesus without any proof that his request has been granted. He's got, he's got you know, no proof that what he's asked for is actually gonna take place. The man trusts first and then finds out that his faith has been rewarded on his way home. He trusts first and then finds out that his faith has been rewarded. And there's, there's, there's three things that stand out to me here. And, and I think when I, when I first you know, read this story, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, there's not actually too much to this story. It's quite a quick exchange and you know, the guy just leaves and, and so on and Jesus does another miraculous healing. Um, but we can learn so much about the character of God just in this one exchange with this guy. The first thing is we can know that Jesus is incredibly gracious. He gives the gift to a man he's never met who has attachments in some way with the court of the wicked King Herod and who says nothing about the power of Jesus or the person. He doesn't acknowledge who Jesus actually is. You know, it was a completely free, gracious gift that he was given. The second thing that we know about this exchange is that Jesus' power is far greater than we can ever imagine. In an instant and, in mile, and miles away, the boy is healed. You know, Jesus' omnipotence cannot be understated here. The very fact that the boy was on his deathbed and is now alive and well cannot be glossed over. And what we know is that when Jesus speaks with authority, there are no spatial limitations to his power. When Jesus speaks, it is done. Um, The third point is that Jesus has already fulfilled this man's request and the man doesn't know it. Um, The man, you know, just takes Jesus at his word, turns, goes back home, um, which was about 10 hours away according to Google Maps. I don't know if they had Google Maps in that time. And the whole time, he doesn't know if his boy has been healed. Okay, he's walking back the whole way. He doesn't know if it's happened. But it has happened. Because at the moment, we find out later, at the moment that Jesus said it is done, it is done. The boy was healed. What does this tell us? It tells us that God can answer prayers long before we know he's done so. And it, it got me thinking, I wonder how many prayers you have here tonight that God has answered and you're actually just yet to find out about. You know, the requirement for perfect faith is the same for this man as it is for us here today. To trust Jesus, to hand over control to him, to not lean on miracles or spectacles, but to trust that God is always good and always powerful. You know, you would have heard the common expression that seeing is believing, meaning that, you know, first comes sight, that's your evidence, um, and then comes belief. But Jesus is saying something so countercultural here. He's saying, no, believe in me first, then you will see. As Christians, we've all, we've all come to this place. We, we've kind of, you know, we know that God is good. We trust that. Um, you know, we declare that and we... we worship God, we praise him for that. Um, 
And if you haven't experienced this, you will on your faith journeys. You follow God um, and you believe he's good, but then sometimes stuff just doesn't go well. You know, like things just spin out of control, um, you know, out of the blue. Um, our lives can just, you know, just feel so chaotic. And the questions that we ask are things like, you know, God, what are you doing here? What are you, like, what's he, you know, what lesson are you trying to teach me? I know you're trying to teach me a lesson here. What is the lesson? Like, can you just make it easy? Can you just give me the answer? And I'll just, you know, keep going. Why are you doing this? Why are you making this difficult? And can I suggest that when hard times hit us, amidst asking God for help, of course, we ask God for help and he wants to help. We actually have an opportunity to ask, how are you perfecting my faith here, Lord? What is the opportunity here to hand over control to you? How can I put my trust in you right now? Even though it's so hard, how can I put my trust in you right now? You know, Jesus himself demonstrates this perfectly when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, about to face crucifixion. And Jesus himself prays to the Father and he says, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus puts forward the request for the Father's help. He says, Lord, you know, please take this cup from me. If there's any way that you can help me and save me, come and rescue me, please do it. May you do something here and save me from this situation. But I love we're given this picture because immediately after he asks for help, in perfect submission, he places his trust in the Father regardless. Despite not seeing or hearing any sign that, from God that his request has been granted, he says, not my will, but your will. Jesus trusts that his Father is faithful and that in spite of the suffering he's about to endure, God has a plan. And what a plan that was. You know, Jesus went to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. And he took the weight of the world's sin all at once. And he died, but he rose again. Meaning we can have assurance that our sins are forgiven, that death is not the end for us, and that we can have new life. That's what we celebrated by taking communion earlier tonight. You know, what happened was the world's worst situation became the greatest event of all time. As Dan said, it changed the fabric of our universe and it happened because Jesus placed his trust in the Father. The greatest outcome possible occurred because he submitted to the Father's will and trusted. Despite, you know, requesting that the cup be taken, he submitted and the greatest event of all time occurred. I don't know about you, but that, that really stirs my faith. Um, you know, reading that and, and looking at, at that. And it stirs my faith because, you know, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, you know, has power over your situation right now. Whatever situation you're facing, you need not fear. You need not have worry. For if your trust is in God, He is with you. And no one, no powers, no events, no feelings, no, um, you know, no things can stand against you. 
And that, is, that stirs our faith tonight, does it not? Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. It's true that he's, he's constantly doing a perfecting work in our lives. He's constantly refining our faith, drawing us closer to him. It's true that in order sometimes to perfect our faith, uh, we find ourselves in situations that require really gritty trust. You know, it's, it's tough sometimes, but it is, it is what's required of us if, if we're to, to know what perfect faith is. You know, we're, we're put into situations which give us an opportunity to actually hang on to Jesus for dear life and trust that he is the only thing worth pursuing in this world. So maybe you're a Christian here tonight, um, but you need to trust that unanswered prayers are being answered in ways that you just can't or haven't yet imagined. Maybe for you this week, you need to trust that God, you know, maybe you've been boxing God in, you've been fitting him into, um, you know, into a box that parameters that you think he should fit within when actually he can do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. You know, maybe God, whatever situation you're in right now, God is actually using to perfect your faith. And we're gonna go into a time of response now. Um, I'd just like to invite the team back up just to, to lead us. But this is a time for you to submit your trust to God. Maybe you've been in the battle for a long time. You've been praying for God to show up, um, but you've been like the, the father in the story. You've been waiting to see before you believe when actually you just need to take a step out and believe that God has a plan that you haven't seen the fullness of yet. Or for others tonight who haven't actually ever come and given your life to Jesus, you can see part of yourself in this story. You know, you've been seeking a sign, not a saviour. You've been seeking a miracle, not Jesus. And you know, you've never truly trusted him and relinquished, relinquished control of your life. And that, you know, that weighs down on you. You need Jesus and Jesus alone to forgive your sin and give you power to live life with him. If that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity now to actually do that just as we come now to worship. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wanna give you an opportunity to, to respond here tonight. And if you wanna respond and place your trust in Jesus tonight to have your sin dealt with and forgiven once and for all, I'm actually just gonna ask you to raise your hand. Don't worry about who's around you, this is between you and God. So if that's you right now and you want to know the peace, the joy, the, the love that comes with handing over the trust of your life to Jesus, just raise your hand right now. It just takes a moment to hand over trust for everything to change. That's awesome. That's great. You can lower your hand now. If that's you, and if you responded, just pray this prayer with me. And it's not about it's it's not about the words that save you. It's the faith that you have. It's the fact that you put your trust in Him. Just pray this in your head and your heart. 
with me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross to rescue me from sin and death and to restore me to the Father. I choose now to turn from my sins and give myself to you. Lord, I receive your forgiveness and ask you to take your rightful place in my life as Lord and Saviour. Come reign in my heart. Restore me now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And Lord, we just want to thank you for those who responded here tonight, Lord, choosing to place their faith and trust in you, our Saviour and Cornerstone. Lord, we invite you, come and perfect our faith, Lord. Give us opportunities to rely on you and you alone. We count it a blessing every time we encounter a battle, Lord, because we know that you are victorious. And Lord, may every sign and blessing we receive point straight back to you. And will we give you the praise always. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're gonna stand together. We're gonna sing a song of response. Um, So I just invite you to stand in your place. We're gonna sing a song of response, sing of his goodness, his faithfulness, and declare the trust that we have in him. Let's worship him, church. Thank you, Father, that as we put our confidence and faith in you, that you're a, you're a God that we can trust, a God that is faithful. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. We thank you for those who responded tonight, maybe here, maybe online as well, great God. Thank you that we can uh, come into that relationship with you, Father. And I'm just conscious tonight that as we continue to put, you know, for some, they may have put their trust in you for the very first time. Uh, but for a lot of us, this is a daily occurrence as we uh, again and again surrender our hearts and our lives to you, trusting you with all that we have, with all that we are, great God. And I pray that we continue to do that. So we love you, Lord. We thank you and we worship you tonight. And uh, we worship you to the remainder of this week. Whatever we're doing, we live a life of worship to you, great God, we pray. So we thank you and uh, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, it's been so good to have you here tonight. So good to have you online. If you did respond at all online, there's an online. Uh, there is a button you can flick there and we'd love to get some information out to you, a Bible pack. Uh, you're welcome to one of those here as well. We'd love to give a Bible pack to you. But God bless you so much. Have an amazing week this week. Whatever you're doing, may God use you powerfully and uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks, heaps. Well, thanks for joining with us for our service today. If you sense God speaking to you, we'd love to help you on the journey of faith. You can reach out to us by emailing hello at bridgman.org.au or if you have a prayer need, don't forget to email us at prayer at bridgman.org.au and we'd love to pray for you. Thanks so much for sharing with us today and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.